death comes unexpectedly. And the God, Jehovah, will execute his vengeance upon ye, who despise his dying love and trample his benefits underfoot. The unconverted soul, the foolish children of man, do miserably delude themselves in the false confidence of their own strength and wisdom. They trust to nothing but a shadow. But bare testament, death comes unexpectedly. Now you say, oh, no, I'd not intended it to come now. I had laid out matters otherwise. I thought my scheme good. I intended to take effectual care, but death came unexpectedly, like a thief outwitting me, too quick for me. Oh, cursed foolishness that I had fathered and pleased myself with vain dreams of repentance, but sudden destruction caught me up. Now he will deal with you. Now the great king of heaven and earth will abolish and annihilate this pride, will crush the hardened wretch of the polluted infinite abomination and rain on him a deluge of fire and brimstone. And where is their strength then? Where are the great leviathans who defied God then? Where is their courage, these, these, these proud spirits? Yes, death comes unexpectedly. These, of course, are not my words. They're part of a message in a very famous Disney movie. Can anyone tell me which movie I'm quoting? No? Oh, dear, your educations are sorely lacking. It's Pollyanna. Has anyone seen Pollyanna? A couple of you have. Pollyanna is a, a great old movie. You can get it on Disney+. Plus. If you don't have Disney+, Plus, ask me and I'll give you my sister-in-law's password. It works well. Cut that from the live stream. Uh, <clears throat> Pollyanna, it's a great movie with a great message where an absurdly positive girl named Pollyanna is sent to live with her rich aunt after her missionary parents are killed. In the movie, we find a contrast between the harsh fire and brimstone preaching of the local preacher and the simple message of grace and love and kindness that Pollyanna remembers her father proclaiming. I encourage you to go and watch the movie and see the scene of the preacher giving it his all and calling down all the fire and brimstone and the congregation falling asleep. I'm not much of a one for fire and brimstone. And I'm far too pessimistic to be Pollyanna. So all I can do is try and tell the truth of what the Bible says and try to make it clear without overhyping the situation with sermons like death comes unexpectedly. The reality is there is a day of judgment. The Bible speaks about this very clearly. In Hebrews chapter 9, the writer says, but just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And then in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says to his congregation, he says, now brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord is Old Testament speak for judgment day. The day of the Lord. And he says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. 
There is a day of judgment coming. Who is the judge on that day? Jesus Christ is the judge on that day. In Acts chapter 10, Paul uh, Peter says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Jesus Christ is the judge. And Jesus himself speaks of this judgment. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells it's not quite a parable. I want to call it a parable, but it's not a parable. But Jesus teaches this. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and he's talking about himself. We know that Jesus talks about himself as the Son of Man. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, how exactly he's going to separate sheep from goats while sitting on a throne, I don't know. But I imagine he will come down and he will look at each individual in the eye and say, you on this side, you on that side. Jesus will be the one who's the judge on that day. In the book of Revelation, we read of a similar story of books being opened. In Revelation chapter 20, uh, the, John, the, John the Revelator says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, for there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as was recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the death that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And if you ever want me to preach for three hours, just give me that one verse. But we'll keep going this morning. Verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, thrown into the lake of fire. This judgment is coming, it has a judge, and it has awful consequences. As Jesus himself says, then the judge will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Take note for whom the fire was prepared. It was not meant for you and I. But there is good news for followers of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in Romans, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so the judgment day holds no fear for us Christians. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We have nothing to worry about. There is no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. We can live however we want. We are guaranteed salvation. After all, once saved, always saved. Yes? No. No, a thousand times no, shout the salvationists. We don't believe on our side of the evangelical divide that you say a sinner's prayer once and you're guaranteed heaven, eternity. On our side of the evangelical divide, we believe that Continuance in the state of salvation depends upon continued obedient faith. We believe that people can 
fall away and they do fall away. And this truth is repeated throughout the New Testament. Paul believed this. He said that, he said that there were people who'd made a shipwreck of the faith. Some have rejected the faith, have suffered shipwreck. They've wrecked their faith and they're lost, he says. But if we continue in the faith and repent and believe, we will have nothing to fear on judgment day. We will not fear condemnation. Our names are in the Lamb's book of life. So relax and take it easy and don't stress. As Jesus says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. But... Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians, and there are hints of it elsewhere in the New Testament, that there are rewards to be handed out on that final day, on that judgment day. Rewards for those who've done good and some pain for those who have done not so good. Which brings us to our passage this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul writes, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flame. Paul has been talking, as we've been reading through 1 Corinthians, Paul has been talking about the church of God as a field where God has been, where Paul has planted the seed of the gospel and Apollos, one of the other ministers, has been watering it, but God has given the growth. And he talks there about there being rewards for labor. We skipped over this verse last week. We didn't really talk about it, but verse 8 says, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. And then you might remember from last week that Paul switches metaphors and says that the church of God is like a building. Paul has laid down a solid foundation, the good news about Jesus Christ. And Apollos and others have been building on that foundation. And Paul extends the metaphor here by talking about how that building will be tested on the day of judgment. The quality of the building will be revealed with fire. The fire will test their work. If it survives the fire, there will be a reward. If not, the builder will suffer loss as one escaping through flames. There is a day of judgment. And it will not only be a day of eternal consequences of heaven or hell, eternal life or eternal death. It will also be a day of assessment when all that we have done in our lives will be considered and tested and there will be rewards for things of eternal value. Things of temporary value will be destroyed. We don't talk about this very much because it's contrary to our Western evangelical culture. We don't like the idea of reward and loss. We don't like the idea of shame and honor. 
It all smacks too much for us Protestants of Catholicism. Too much of that good works idea. Trying to earn our way to heaven. We don't like that stuff. And so we skip over it. And there are some serious logical questions as well. How does this all work out? Do the best saints get bigger mansions in the New Jerusalem? And the ordinary saints get modest mansions? And the barely saints have to share a one-bedroom flat on the outskirts of paradise? Are we going to spend all of eternity knowing who were the good saints here on earth and who were the lousy saints? Is there going to be a class system in the next world? These are all good questions. Guess what? The Bible doesn't answer them. But so much of this teaching gives us problems that we tend to ignore it entirely. Rather than just saying what the Bible says, that there's a day of judgment and Christians have a part to play in it, even if guaranteed eternal life, there's still some level of assessment, ideas of reward and removal. We don't like it, so we don't talk about it. Is this a judgment for all Christians? or just for those who've had leadership responsibilities like Paul and Apollos? Is it just the builders who get assessed? We could read the passage in that way. But then we end up with the question of, well, who are the builders? Who are the leaders? Is it just the ordained reverends, or is it the ordinary pastors as well? And if it's the ordinary pastors, why not the licensed preachers? And if the licensed preachers, well, why not the lay ministers? And so on down the line. Where do we draw that line? To whom does this passage apply? We can draw from other places in Scripture that this judgment does apply to every follower of Jesus, follower of Jesus, even if it will apply more strictly to those who are called to leadership and teaching. James writes in his letter, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. There's a universal judgment, James says. The teachers are going to get it much harder. And also here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, our passage today, it's made clear that the judgment of God is for everyone because Paul says that there are consequences for anyone destroying the church of God, the body of believers, awful and eternal consequences. So Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. These are confronting verses. If anyone, Paul says, Paul is clearly talking about more than just the builders, the leaders. The anyone is anyone. Anyone who destroys God's temple, which is the church, the gathered group of believers, those who share the spirit of God living among them, anyone who destroys that temple will be destroyed. There are consequences for how we live, eternal consequences. There is a day of judgment. It is coming, perhaps unexpectedly, and Jesus will be the judge. 
Are there any questions this morning? Uh, for those who are visiting with us, I'd like to pause and see if there's any questions about anything I've said. Uh, feel free to shout them out. And if there are no questions, I'll be very disappointed because it means you weren't paying attention. Yes, Hans, good man, Hans. Great question. Hans asks, what about people who haven't heard the word? What about people who don't know about Jesus? That's a great question. And it's one that the Bible doesn't really answer, but it kind of does, depending on what your assumptions are. Here's my answer to that question. Jesus is the judge, and he determines who's in and who's out. If there's a person who lived before Jesus in a part of the world where they'd never heard of the name of Jesus or whatever, I believe Jesus will judge them on that criteria, on their merits. I'm much happier with Jesus being the judge of the world than, by the way, any of you, or by the way, me either. I can trust Jesus absolutely to make the right decisions about that. That's way beyond my pay grade. But I know that Jesus is the judge. And on the last day, he decides who gets into heaven and who doesn't. It's not up to you and me. It's not up to Martin Luther. God bless him. It's not up to St. Augustine. God bless him. It's up to Jesus. He decides. And so I think there will be lots of people in heaven and we'll go, how did you get here? And they'll say, I don't know, but that Jesus bloke let me in. And the other way of putting it is like this. There will be no one in heaven who thinks they deserve to be there and there will be no one in hell who isn't sure that they're absolutely in the right place. Great question. Yes, more questions. What's the criteria? The criteria... I'll come back to you in a minute, Veronica. I've got a question down here. So what's the, what's the criteria for getting in, for getting past Jesus? How long have you been coming to my church, Savannah? And this is your question, Boita, is it? What? The cutoff for what? I don't understand. Oh, sitting exam. Okay. Um, that's a good question. You can ask Jesus what his criteria are. We would say that the Bible says that we're all sinners. We all need God's help. Yes? And Jesus tells us to repent and believe. So if you've heard the good news of Jesus, he says to you, turn away from your sin and trust in me. And he will judge how we respond to that. Now, if there's a person who's never heard that gospel message, how Jesus will deal with that, as I said, is entirely up to him. And you might disagree with me, and that's okay. But I think God is big enough to deal with those situations. As I say, I think there'll be lots of people in heaven who never said the sinner's prayer. Is Darren guaranteed to be one man there who was never baptized? Who's that? Thief on the cross. Never had a chance. Never did a good deed in his life. Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Never took communion. Never sang a hymn. He's in paradise. I'm sure there'll be lots of others there as well. He never even really rep he never even really repented. Let's think of it that way. He just said to his mate, shut up, leave him alone. We're all dying here. This guy never did anything wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into his kingdom. That's not repentance. 
almost barely an expression of faith. Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. I've got, I've got heaps of questions. I'm glad. Veronica, what did you want to say? Hmm. Hmm. Yes. Is there a question or are you just agreeing with me? That's okay if you're just agreeing with me. Hmm. <coughs> Great. Thank you, Veronica. Veronica's pointing us to Romans chapter 1, where Paul says that the creation testifies of the goodness of God. And that people are without excuse. If you look at the complexity of the universe and how it all works and how life works, and scientists do their best to explain it away, but every explanation they make comes falls flat because we come back to the, well, how did it all begin and why? And why is life the way it is? And why is DNA so incredibly complicated? Beyond our understanding. And so, yes, Romans chapter 1 says that there's all the evidence you want for a supernatural being, for a reality beyond ourselves. People who ignore that and turn away from that, Paul says they have no excuse. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. I think I had one more, another, two more questions. So, yes? No? Mm. Mm. I'm coming to that. Thank you, brother. But so, so Noel, for the benefit of the tape, Noel saying, what about people like Hitler and Putin? How are they going to stand before God on the day of judgment? I say, I'm looking forward to the day of judgment, but I'll come back to that in a minute because we're going to hear... God deal with these people. And we're going to see, I think we're all, all of humanity is going to see all the facades and all the excuses stripped away because there's not going to be any appeal. It's all written down in the books, what they did. And the books will be read. And the great dictators of history, and you can think of all the dictators you want. Let's add King Leopold to that. Leopold of the Belgians, he's in big trouble, brother. I'm looking forward to that day. All the different people. I'm looking forward to the day of judgment. I'm coming back to that, but that's a great question. But yes, Jesus will deal with them. I'm not saying that everyone's going to heaven. Don't, I don't think everyone's going to heaven. Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats. The sheep come in, the goats go away. There is an eternal divide. But Jesus is the one who makes that decision, not you and me. Seller, did you have a question as well? Yes. Read the Bible and obey. Yes, 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 yes. But which bits, Stella? Which bits of the Bible should we read? All of, all of it, all of it. Even Song of Solomon. <laughs> Even the weird bits that make no sense. Yes, I would agree with what you'd say, but I would change it to slight like this. What does Jesus say? As we read the Bible, we meet Jesus and we encounter Jesus. I think we should focus on those parts of the Bible that talk most clearly about him and his character. Yes, it's all of great value. The Old Testament, this is Goeda's question from last week. What's the value of the Old Testament? The Old Testament is the soil in which the seed of the gospel is planted. We need the soil so the seed can grow. And we need those stories from the Old Testament so that the tree doesn't topple over. But we need to focus on Jesus. He is the one who shows us what God is really and truly 
like. Now you're getting me into controversial topics and I will be in big trouble. Was there any other questions I'd hate for anyone to miss out? No. None of you brought up the things I wanted to talk about. No, that's all right. Those are the things that will get me in real trouble. When I was uh, studying to be an officer in the Salvation Army, a pastor, um, I'd done a couple of years in a little church on the Sunshine Coast and then in Redcliffe here in North Brisbane. And then I went to officer college with my wife and we were there. My first baby was on the way, Harriet. We were having a great time and learning and we were living in you know humble little housing and making do on our, on our stipend. Um, and I heard a story of a man doing the same as me, an officer, studying to be an officer, but he lived in Brazil. And instead of living at the training college for officers in Brazil, he lived in a drain pipe with the orphan children in Rio de Janeiro. He gave up his little room in the college and he would come backwards and forwards to the college to take his lessons. And then every night he'd go back to the drain pipe to help look after the children living in the drain pipe. And when I heard that story, I wept. I'm about to weep again. I can't do that. (laughs) Can't live in a drain pipe. I'm soft and I'm weak. And you're telling me that me and that bloke are going to end up in the same size mansion in heaven? I don't think so. He deserves the biggest mansion they've got up there. He deserves all of God's blessing. That guy definitely deserves a better quality of eternity than I do. But how does that work? I don't know. But I know that Jesus is the judge and he'll totally make it worth our while. And we can trust him. As I said to Noel, I am looking forward to the day of judgment because there are questions I want answered and there are things I want to know. There are difficult issues that need to be addressed. Questions of abuse and violence and fraud and corruption both in the church and outside the church. Global leaders who've started wars will answer, I believe, for every bullet and every bomb. And petty bullies who make children cry will explain themselves to the God who created the universe. I'm looking forward to that day. But I am also vividly aware that as a teacher, I will face a stricter judgment. And I'm not looking forward to that at all. I want justice for everyone and mercy for me. And how does that work? There's a lot we could talk about here. And for a lot of those questions, the best answer we can give is we don't know. The Bible does not tell us. We know that there is a day of judgment and that Jesus is the judge. And here's the good news. You can talk to the judge here and now. And you can enter a plea of guilty as charged and ask for help. Jesus tells us that God's kingdom is at hand and that includes the day of judgment. That day of judgment is not far away, so do something about it. Repent. Change your ways. Live differently. God will help you. There is no one so bad, so far gone, that they cannot be saved and redeemed, even as one escaping from a burning house. But do it now, because death comes unexpectedly. Jesus is 
the judge. It is to him and him alone that we must give an account. Better to do that here and now than on the great and terrible day of the Lord. The song that I've chosen for reflection this morning says, Purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold, pure gold. Paul's been talking about building up the church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. What are you building on the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life? Are you building with things that will last or things that will be burnt up? Let's pray. Father God, this morning we want to thank you for your word, even those parts that we don't really like, and even for those parts we don't really understand. Father God, I pray this morning you would give us the faith to grapple with the tricky questions and at the same time to say that we're happy to leave those things to you. Father God, I thank you that Jesus Christ will be the judge on that last day. It won't be me. It won't be anyone in this room. It won't be any of the great thinkers of history or the great theologians. It will be your son, Jesus Christ, the carpenter from Nazareth. Father God, thank you for the genius of that scheme because there is no one we can trust more to be the judge on that day. Father God, we pray that people would hear his voice here and now. Turn their lives around and follow him. Father God, we pray that men and women and boys and girls would hear his voice speaking through the Holy Spirit. Put their trust in him. For this life and for eternal life. Father God, for all those other things that we don't understand, we trust Jesus to sort all that out. In his precious and powerful name we pray. Amen.